Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hi everyone, welcome to LawPod. I'm Ruby and I'm here with my co-host Tamara. In celebration of International Women's Day, Today's episode explores themes of gender diversity and equality, but also provides insight into the career of a woman in the legal profession, our very own new head of school for law, Professor Joan Lockery. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for asking me. It's a real honour. Professor Lockery, as an experienced lawyer and academic, I wonder if you could tell us about your route into law and really why you chose to study it in the first place. It wasn't an entirely planned thing. Uh, The reason that I did law was because I was bad at physics because I had actually always, since I was a small child, wanted to be a doctor and we do have doctors in the family. Um, But I could not do physics uh, and I gave it up at O-level and that gave me the idea that I couldn't go on and do medicine. I probably wasn't entirely right about that. So then looking around, I thought, well, you do a degree in order to get into a job and you get into the job. And I had the idea that you, you did the job that was really closely connected to the degree. So I thought, well, the other one's law and that'll train me up to be a lawyer. I had no idea whether I wanted to be a lawyer really, but it was like the next vocational in a commas degrees degree. Of course, that's wrong. And a lot of people who do law don't go into the legal profession, but that wasn't where I was at. I think the other thing was um, I was really competitive, in fact, and um, I knew that law and medicine were really competitive things to get into. And I thought, well, I can't do medicine, I'll do law. And then the other reason was I wanted to do a levels that I really enjoyed um, and that I knew that I would get good marks in because that's really important when you're going into university that you focus on the grades you're going to get. Um, and they happened to be that in history and English and everyone, oh, they're the right ones for law, which of course, again, is another myth but it was where we were at the time. So that's how it happened. And so where did you decide to study law and what area were you drawn to in the first instance? I actually was at school at Methody just across the road. And so I seen Queen's every day and I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe do, I, had, I definitely thought about Queen's uh, and I was thinking about it whenever one of the teachers that I had I think it was my Latin teacher, but it might have been head of sixth form, um, said to me, you should, I hope, I always remember it. He said, I hope you're thinking about applying to Oxbridge. Now, I definitely was not thinking about applying to Oxbridge because I did not think that I was Oxbridge material, I have to tell you. But he made it absolutely clear that this was something I really should be doing. And I think, I honestly think that if he hadn't tapped me on the shoulder that day, I wouldn't even have, it wouldn't even have occurred to me to do that. And I certainly didn't expect to get in. And um, so when I got in, I was amazed. And then I always expected, I have to say, to be um, the bottom of the group. Um, and that didn't happen. So the whole thing, you know, it all came as a surprise to me, but that's where I ended up because somebody shoved me that direction. And that has a lot of the time been something that has changed the direction of my career in a number of times when somebody has just said, you should do this, you should think about this. And I think like you touched on, sometimes teachers don't realise what an important role they have in people's lives and determining kind of what pupils go for and what they wish to succeed in their own lives. Um, so that's really nice to hear that yeah. it, it was, you know, someone telling you to go for it. Um, and then following uh, Oxbridge, what area of law did you go into at first? 
So I did not really know what I wanted to do. Um, um, I quite liked the idea of doing legal aid work, but I also wanted to try out commercial law work. As it happens, um, and actually I wasn't sure I wanted to be a lawyer at all. I think even at university, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I knew that I, I think I knew that I wanted to teach at university, but again, I had this imposter syndrome, uh, lack of confidence where I thought, I'm not just not going to be smart enough to, I mean, you have to be brilliant to teach at university. And so I didn't go down that route and there was a really strong push. And I don't know if students feel it these days, but there's a really strong push to go into practice and just give it a go. I, and again, I was given a shove. Now, this was a shove that probably didn't serve me well because I wasn't sure, looking back, you know, academia was what I wanted to do. But I wanted to get as broad an experience as possible. And as it happens, there was a firm in London that trained you up in legal aid work. They had a legal aid um, uh, office associated with them, um, a commercial office. And I applied to them and I, I was just really lucky to get in there. So I went in did the different seats, um, discovered that I didn't, while I, I like training and personal injury, which is what I thought I wanted to go into, I, I suddenly realised that I really didn't want to practice in that. So that just goes to show it's really important to get experience because it will totally change your mind. Um, commercial, well, it was fine. You know, it was quite interesting. Um, it wasn't um, my passion, but then what then happened was what I always wanted to do was go travelling. I had no money once I finished my training contracts. I'd spent so much when I was at law school that I had to pay off my loan and I had just, I'd broken even. So I borrowed some money and then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And um, I didn't have a huge amount of money and I thought, well, I know I'll go to Hong Kong and I'll get a job there and I'll earn lots of money and I'll be able to go traveling. And I went despite the strong advice of a relation who was in Hong Kong said you won't get a job. I applied to every single law firm in Hong Kong, got nowhere with it and was on the way out the door to get a job in a pub which wasn't going to earn me lots of money when the phone went. And I was sort of halfway out the door and I thought well am I going to answer that phone or not? Um, I did answer the phone and it was a law firm who took me on as a paralegal to work on a refugee case. And then that was that. So then I, I got into commercial shipping litigation, which was just I'd done no shipping litigation prior to that. But I started doing shipping litigation at that point. That's so fascinating, just how completely different, even first of all, within the legal sector and then going from Northern Ireland <laughs> to Hong Kong. I'm sure it was a, a bit of a change for you, even just in, in your own personal life, never mind your professional life. Yeah, it was it was it was a really big step. And I think these things when I moved from Northern Ireland, England, England to um, Hong Kong, I, I think you always feel homesick, don't you? And it takes about it does take a wee while to settle down. And I think people who find themselves in new situations, they do need to give themselves about six months. I, it's always my rule of thumb. And when I'm talking to first year students, I say, I know you're going to be feeling um, homesick for a while. It might be particularly bad in November when it's a bit dark and miserable. But just get yourself through to January, February and you'll start to feel better. And it's, you're, you're not alone in those feelings. And that was just based also on my own experience as well as watching how people are. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched there on the importance of knowing what you don't want to do just as much as what you do want to do. And in terms of the stuff that you really did want to do, would you say that there were any standout uh, moments from your career that you can look back fondly on now? Yes. 
facts. Um, one was very recent, actually. One was two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago when I went back to Leeds. I was supporting, um, since 2015, a women's group that was started up in the school called um, Women Breaking Barriers. It was a student-led group. The students came to us, women students. They said, look, we have the majority of students in the law school are women, and I'm sure it must be, it's the same here. It's the same across all degrees and law degrees now. Uh, but they lack confidence. And also, you know, we want we want to build up their confidence, but we also want to show them the range of careers that women can go into, not just the law profession, but all kinds of things, and talking about the challenges that they faced in getting to the top of their careers. So that was back in 2015. I supported that group um, as kind of institutional memory, telling the presidents what had worked before, what had not worked. But it was very much a student-motivated um, um, group. And they're a fantastic group of students. So a couple of weeks ago, they had an event where they had five past presidents in, basically telling the women in that room, the new students, um, how they got, what were the, the past presidents were doing, all different kinds of jobs. They weren't just solicitors and barristers, but they were also that, those and in quite, you know, competitive areas. But they've gone into, they've also taken other routes um, uh, and other careers. And they were talking to the new students about how they, about their journey. And it was just fantastic to see these people who I'd seen as students come through. They hadn't known what they were going to do. Some of them knew they didn't want to be lawyers. They didn't know what they wanted to do. And there they were in successful careers, being an inspiration to the next generation. And that was a highlight. And they presented me with a bunch of thoughts, which was great. And it was absolutely nice. <laughs> the best thing. It was the best way to finish my time at Leeds. Apart from that, being promoted to professor, I was one of the first three women in the law school at Leeds who had ever been promoted internally to professor. Three of us were promoted at the same time back, I think, in 2012. Not one single woman had ever been promoted internally before that. They'd recruited people in from the outside. And I was the only one with children. And I felt and my children were still um, relatively young at the time. I felt incredibly proud of that. So there was that as well. Yeah. As you said, navigating the demands of the legal profession and finding ways to progress with within that. Um, would you say that gender diversity has played a huge role or has played a minor role in impacting that journey? So um, I don't know what it would be like now because it's obviously quite a long time since I left the legal profession. Um, and it was very much a um, pool. I wanted to be an academic. I think that was where my interests were. And when I got that job, I couldn't believe that I was being paid to do something I loved. Um, there was a bit of a push factor um, uh, that I wasn't a great business person. Actually, I really didn't like charging clients money. I liked doing the research and I liked doing the work, but I really hated sending them the bills. So that was meant that I wasn't going to be good at being a lawyer. Um, but the other thing is, um, it's really challenging. Those first two, three, four years out of practice when not, not, when you're training, you've got people looking over your work, or should do. But um, after that, when you're on your own almost, um, it's really challenging, difficult, stressful time. And to come up against what was then a glass ceiling and um, gender stereotypes, you just think, you know, no. Um, so I, at that point in time, I saw the writing on the wall. I could see that it was going to be for me, an impediment. Um, and I thought, well, it's not actually what I want to do. 
But I want to emphasize that I went into academia because I wanted to do it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting what you're saying about the glass ceiling because I, I'm a career changer. Um, I have a son and I'm slightly older than some of the, the students starting out um, in Queen's in Law. And I definitely, from my experience, uh, feel that there is, you know, still a lack of diversity or, um, you know, pushing for you to get to the top of, of um, your career ladder. I actually found some stats last night, um, a lot of stats going around at the moment, especially with International Women's Day, that said 50, there are 52% of trainee uh, solicitors or barristers, and that drops to 30% of partners and 19% of equity partners. So there clearly is still an issue. Um, and it would just be kind of interesting to hear how you maybe think that we could try and break through that seal or what movements we need in place to kind of show younger females coming into the profession that they can reach the top or they essentially can have it all, so to say. Okay, so, I mean, actually the stats are slightly uh, worse than what you've um, uh, articulated because, in fact, um, the, the, the legal profession is segmented. So if you look at the big city firms, quite often you'll find that um, there are even fewer women partners. So the, the stats that we've got there are for the sector as a whole, but in actual fact in big city firms, it's even lower. Um, what you will quite often hear the profession saying is, um, well, it's just a matter of time. You hear this with judges and the bar, you hear it right across. It's just a matter of time. Women will come through in the end. Look. Women have been 50% uh, of the entrance into the profession for really quite some time, uh, almost not long after I came in. Um, you know, I don't have the date, but it's really a very long time, longer than 20 years. And indeed, they're the majority of people in law school. So that's not what it is, right? Because um, the people that I was at university with are now actually thinking of retiring. They're close to retirement. They're coming into that. And, 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 and there were loads of women going into the profession at that point. So it's something else. So what do we do about this? Well, we first of all, we challenge that explanation. That's not what's going on. Um, there's something else going on. Um, we have a look at career progression for women in the legal profession. Um, there has been loads of research on this. Um, and it is, I think, a case of just getting it across, communicating this to the legal profession. There's assumptions that are made that, that need to be discussed such that, you know, um, women want to work life balance and therefore we'll put them on what's called, um, what researchers call the mommy track, which is, means you've got flexible hours and works great, but there's no career progression. So there needs to be work done in and around that, I think, with the profession. We need women champions in the profession. Think, no question that things are getting better, but we can't just leave it to the women champions. We need the men to come in and be on board and to understand what the problems are. And I understand that being a partner in a law firm or being a barrister be, uh, and so forth is hugely pressurised and you have a lots of demands on your time and you have key performance indicators you have to meet and so forth. But, but... We're losing valuable women. We've been losing them a long time. There's not just a business case for diversity. It's the right thing to do. And so, you know, we need to have this. It's not, it's not, it's the, the problem is not that women don't want to progress. It's that there are obstacles in the way to progression. I totally agree. I, even just from my own research um, at the moment within certain modules that I'm studying, you can see that the drop off is more to do with 
structure of business in the workplace more so than the you know the interest of females that want to progress um in their own career so the big problem is the big problem rises um whenever people have children that's when up until that point although the playing field is not even uh then it becomes incredibly uneven because first of all um there are structural reasons it is still the case that men are paid more than women so you have a couple and they have a baby and I want to emphasize they have a baby because quite often it said oh well you know women can't cho- uh, complain about this because they choose to have babies and it, well it's the couple who choose to have babies biologically the woman has to have the baby but it's the couple who have the baby i was actually thinking while you were speaking there mm. i know some Solicitors firms, one in particular in the UK, has taken the step to promote a fertility officer, kind of to um dispel those myths of um motherhood being like career suicide. Mm. And I guess that really speaks to what you were saying in the inherent visibility that women need. Um, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly right. Um. Uh, I think role models are incredibly important, champions and role models, and people need to be able to see that they can do it. Um, They do need to know, I think both women and men, that it does involve sacrifices of some kind. It might be that one or other of the couple choose to step back from career. It doesn't have to be the woman. Or it might be that you're just incredibly busy for a period of your life. And I think the thing to bear in mind there is that um, it is quite a short period of your life um, and you do come out the other end and suddenly your kids are 13 and don't want to see you for a while, um, you know, or up in their rooms and so forth. But but those choices are very personal and there should be nobody who dictates um, one route rather than the other. But what I would say, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be steered by gender stereotypes. Uh, it should be a real choice um, with the couple um, uh, about what is best for them. But employers, that makes it sound like pushing on to the couple. It's not. Employers have to make their employment practices more caring friendly. And I say caring because it's not just about families, it's about um, elderly relatives. And, um, you know, so our, our employees are embedded in relationships in society and we can't we can't pretend that they're not and when we do that's when we lose them. Yeah I think on that point of visibility that's where um, the role of you know head of school for law is really helpful in promoting these kinds of messages even like we're doing today and I think that's really invaluable and I suppose in, ter- in terms of the broader picture of your hopes going forward for the faculty um, is there anything that you're um, entering the post with uh, a clear mindset that you want to achieve? Well, I am really excited about being in the school. It's, um, uh, it's. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it, it's a really unique school with unique strengths. It's a Russell Group Law School, but it's a, it, it, it occupies a very uh, unique position in, on the island of Ireland. It's got strong, it's got very strong local connections, which we uh, are hugely proud of. It's got uh, connections uh, in Ireland, it's got connections with GP um, and then it's got those um, global connections. And I don't really think there's any other school that's almost placed, uh, similarly placed. The other thing that really strikes me about the school um, is just 
how engaged it is with societal issues. Staff and students uh, go out there and they um, they really do want to make a difference. They are engaged with the big with the big questions. But and when I say big questions, I mean locally, nationally, globally. So that's the first thing. Um, so it's a really distinctive law school. But what I want to see going forwards and what I'm focusing on um, is uh, supporting this community of students, staff, alumni, links with the profession, and really nurturing and building our community. Um, it's really struck me um, when I speak to colleagues in school how collegial they are and I want to see us thriving as a community. Um, I also want uh, Queen's research to continue to be as excellent as it currently is and as globally recognised. I want the students to have the most fantastic experience they can when they're here. These three or four years that you're here um, some people are here for a shorter period of time, um, but one, two, three, four years, there's such a unique time in your lives. There'll be nothing like this again with the range of opportunities that are available to you, both in terms of education and in terms of extracurricular activities. And I just want to make sure that you have the opportunity to get the most out of that and to, and to give you the opportunity to make sure, to make sure the students and staff have the opportunity to achieve as they want to, to, that they can achieve their aspirations. And I do see that as um, a really important role for myself to lead in the school. Yes, definitely. I think that as part of that role, as part of your role, you inher inherently set down kind of um, advice maybe for, for women coming up in the legal profession. I know personally I'm a first year and you appeared recently in one of my lectures kind of, you know, dropping those hints about, you know, the interconnectedness that we have at university that is so special and you'll never really see again. But I suppose if you could distill it down into two or three pieces of advice for someone like myself just starting out in studying law or someone like Tamara who's going into practicing law, um, what would that be? What would that look like? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is, or, or, and to stu other students is, if you don't know what you want to do, don't worry about it. Don't do something because you think you ought to do it. Do something because it fits you. And that might not be going into practice, but it might be going into practice. If you don't have a clear idea at the moment, don't worry, just keep looking because the law degree is a great degree for a variety of careers. And one of the things that struck me at Women Breaking Barriers was that people had just gone off in different directions and they were really happy um, and they really felt they'd achieved. Um, I'd also say whatever you do, Find role models, find a mentor, network, get get out there and uh, look for somebody who's doing what you want to do and then find out how they did it and just pay attention to them and get advice. Make sure you get advice and be ready to change, be flexible. Look, you know, I've changed so many times, so many times of what I've done, but the changes have always been things that I was interested in. Just be aware that many opportunities will come serendipitously your way. And just make sure that you're open and don't be afraid. Don't don't stick to just doing the same thing because it's what you've always done. Just be open to the opportunities because they will be there and they will come up. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think if we can take anything away from the past two years, it's that a plan won't always, you know, see you through your entire time. And I really think what you've said today has been inspiring and I'll, I'm, I've definitely taken notes myself. But thank you so much for coming to speak to us um, today. It was really interesting to hear what you had to say as 
um, an experienced um, woman in the legal profession. It's been a real pleasure, honestly, and thank you very much for asking me. Thank you very much. And to all our fellow women in law, happy International Women's Day.